Mark chapter number 5, verse number 25. The Bible says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I might touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around, check this little phrase out here, to see, to see her who had done this thing. But the woman who, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Today, we are going to return to our study of endurance and to our story of the woman that I affectionately call Miss Rocky for our last installment of this series, and I'm calling it Gas Up. Gas Up. And I know that can sound funny, but I don't mean it that way. Gas Up. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your power, by your grace, and by your spirit to every heart. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Even at home, amen. You may be seated. Just a couple of weeks ago, as you know, I mean, I don't even think it's been two weeks, maybe maybe two, maybe three, we got hit with our hurricane in this area called Isaiah, and uh, we all know that Louisiana and Texas just got hit by Hurricane Laura, and um, the speed, by the way, at which stuff is happening, stuff is hitting the United States and hitting the world and, and hitting us as a people is evidence, by the way, that we are in the last of the last days. That's going to be a subject that I'm going to be taking up in our next series, and we're, we're calling it alternate universe. Because I don't know about you, but don't, don't you feel sometimes like you have entered an alternate universe? Like, like the planet that you once knew as Earth is no longer the planet, and you look around and you think, how in the world? How in the world? And what happened to... And why... And just one thing after another. And this speed at which stuff is happening. And Jesus calls it, he calls it, these are the beginnings of sorrows. When they ask him the question, they say, what should be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he gives all the signs and he says, but this is the beginning of sorrows. And he uses this word sorrows, and I'm kind of preaching ahead a little bit, but I'll come back to what I wanted to talk about. He says that this is the beginning of sorrows. And the word he uses is the word that uh, describes a woman when she goes into birth. And we all know that when a woman goes into birth, at first the contractions are random, right? They're just here and there. But as she gets closer and closer to giving birth, the contractions get rhythmic and they become more predictable and more frequent and so on and so forth. And so the, the speed at which hurricane two weeks ago, another hurricane now, that could come another one right behind it. And these things that are just happening, he's telling us we're entering into the final port of call. We're entering into that place where his return is imminent. We'll, we'll talk about that in our next series. Nevertheless, just a couple of weeks ago, we got hit by this, this hurricane in our area. And um, 
we pointed out how it once again interrupted life. 2020 has been a year of life being interrupted. But that's not what sticks out to me about the, the hurricane that hit us. There are two things that sticks out, stick out to me. One of them is, um, uh, my, my daughter and my family's, um, sarcasm. And, 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 and quite frankly, some of my staff's sarcasm as I warned them that the hurricane was coming. I said, 70 mile an hour winds are coming our way. And, um, uh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, I'm going to battle down the hatches. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to put the lawn furniture away. I'm going to take the awnings down. I'm going to, I'm going to do some stuff to the house because, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You know, I don't want something going into the window or, you know, something being blown over. I don't want to have a bigger mess later on. And so I'm going to do all these things. And then I'm going to go to the gas station and I'm going to fill up my five, 10-gallon gas cans and bring them home and make sure the generator is running. So start up the generator and uh, we're going to be ready for this uh, storm that, that, that is coming our way. Oh, dad. Can I just say, when you're young, you're stupid. Can I, can I just say it that way? Can I, do I have to just mince words about it? You know, oh, dad, you know, you're, you're just overreacting. And immediately I thought of a scripture. And a, uh, by the way, I'm, this is for my family. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number three says, a prudent foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And so this really what sticks out to me is how my family are simpletons and how I'm a very prudent person. And because they happen to live with a prudent person, the simpletons got the benefits of the prudence. And that's a message all by itself, by the way, because if you hang around prudent people, sometimes even in your simpleton ways, you can still experience the benefits of their prudence. I'm not going to get on that. So that, that was just for my family. But what really stuck out to me is the long lines at the gas station. And, you know, when the storm hit and the power went out and, you know, people started going to the gas station and they want to make sure they have enough gas to keep them generators just going 24-7 because if you keep the generator going, you got some lights and you got, you got some water, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you don't lose the food and the freezer and the refrigerator and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, you know, we, we, we're getting that generator going. And so we're on these long lines waiting to make sure that we don't run out of gas. And let's face it, there are consequences of running out of gas, right? And so if you're going on a long trip, you make sure that you gas up. And so and you, you make sure that you, when you see the gas tank getting low, that you find out where the next gas station is to make sure that you get gas in the tank before the gas runs out. Because when you're on a long trip, you don't want to get stranded on the side of the highway. Or if you're in a marathon, if you're a marathon runner, you carb overload the night before to make sure that you have enough gas to make it through the marathon because you're going to burn a lot of uh, calories when you do that. Or if you're the opening day pitcher, you make sure that you stretch yourself out during the preseason so when it comes time to have to go seven or eight or nine innings you don't run out of gas in the middle of the game and if you're about to get hit with a hurricane you go to the gas station and you gas up so that the generator doesn't run out of gas or so you don't lose the food in the refrigerator, the lights the water and have to go potty in a bucket right that's that's the whole point of gassing up because there are consequences to running out of gas Gassing up is part of prudent living. And it even extends to things like saving for a home or college or retirement because those that wait often find out it's too late. That's another message right there. Because so many times, you know, we, we wait 
until our life is a wreck and we're in the middle of blah, 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 to, to prepare for those things. But the Bible tells us prudence prepares beforehand. And this isn't a prediction for anybody, but in life, you know, storms can measure where we're at. We are either just coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or heading for a storm. That's just, that's just the way that, that life is. And, and it's okay because we don't need to fear because Jesus said, I've overcome the world in this world. You will have tribulation. And by the way, when we talk about the end time events, Jesus doesn't tell us these things to scare us. He tells us these things to prepare us so that we can be positioned to be the lights in darkness and walk in the victory that he promised for us to have. But we have to be prudent in the process. Um, and so when it comes to Endurance, our subject in this series, it really isn't any different. Uh, in order to endure through the challenges of life, the difficulties, the tests, and the trials, you and I must fuel our endurance. We, we've got to gas up. We've got to put something in so that we can be committed or uh, stay with it for the long haul. Because in the scripture, Matthew 24, verse 13, they that endure to the end, and I'm taking it out of context a little bit, shall be saved. This is actually a scripture that comes in answer to G- the question that the disciples asked Jesus, what shall be the end of the age and the sign of your coming? And this scripture is in the middle of that, but there's a principle in there that applies to any portion of life and that is in order to be saved which literally means to have salvation wholeness in every area of your life total victory right you've got to endure because if you quit in the middle you can't win and if you quit before uh the appointed time you can't win and if you stop when the struggle gets real you can't win and so it's enduring to the end that causes us to obtain victory and um, this part, the part of the text that I want to focus on really is where this woman shows us how she endured. What fuel did she put in her tank? How did she gas up so she could endure until the point where she received the victory that Jesus had prearranged for her? Verse number 25, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And had suffered many things of many physicians. She had spent all that she had, was no better, but grew worse. Twelve years. Not twelve seconds, not twelve minutes, not twelve days, not twelve months. Twelve years. Twelve years of not getting progressively better. Not twelve years of showing signs of progress. Not twelve years of improvement not 12 tw- not 12 years of anything that would tell her okay at least i'm going toward where i want to be but 12 years the bible says of getting worse 12 years of not just dealing with the issue that she was dealing with but the complications that came off of the issue that she was dealing with because issues are usually not isolated. When you go through issues, they usually have splinter points and fractures and little things that come off of that issue. And all of a sudden, it's not just this that you're dealing with, but now you're dealing with this and this, right? Because the, the, the enemy has this, this little thing that he likes to do, and it's called the pile-up technique. He, he piles up because he wants us to quit and because he is a counterfeit 
Uh, and a copycat. You say, Pastor, why do you say that? What is that? What, how does that help me to know that he piles up because he's a counterfeit and a copycat? Well, because I want you to understand that when bad things begin to pile up, I want you to remember that he is copying your heavenly father whose pile up power is greater than the pile up problems of the enemy. See, everything the enemy does is just the flip side of what God wants to do in our life. And God, according to the Bible, says, Psalm chapter 68, verse number 19, it says, Blessed be God who daily loads us with benefits. What does that mean? He piles up. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to we have to catch glimpses. We have to purposefully catch... I feel my help coming on already. We, we, pur- we have to purposely catch glimpses of God. Because what happens is in the enemy piling up, he tries to shade God from us. He tries to block us from seeing God because if we lose where God is, if our eyes can't see Jesus, what happened to Peter? You think... And so if the enemy can pile up enough so that we can't see God, so what I've learned to do is I've learned to see God, and I know this is going to sound crazy, in the devil. Say, that don't make any sense, Pastor. That's kind of, no, no, no. See, what happens is I just look at everything the devil does and copy. Copy. And every time I look at copy, it reminds me of who God really is. And so as the devil's trying to pile up problems and get me to cast aside my faith, I say, no, 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 no. Wait a second. I know why you're doing this because you're just copying what God really wants to do for me. And what God wants to do is, is load me with some blessings. Not 12 seconds, 12 minutes, 12 days, 12 months, but 12 years. Here's the question. How did she... Keep going for 12 years. Can we be real? Would you keep going for 12 years? I I mean, I don't know if I could. 12 years is a long time to endure a situation. How did she do it? How did she gas up so that she didn't give up before she got up? See, this is the question. This is, this is, this is what it takes in order to be a victorious Christian. You've got to know how to gas up before you give up so that you can get up. And I want to give you a couple of keys to what she did. And these are real simple things that I've preached over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But they are time-tested truths. And I used to think as a young preacher that I got to preach different things all the time. And I found out something that most people need the same thing over and 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 over again. Because these are these are the things that help us to walk in victory. So three things I want to give you. Number one, she said, verse number 28, for she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. In times of long battles, we must speak life-giving words. In times of long battles, you must speak life-giving words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. What we say when we are in a battle either brings the devil's death or God's life. What we say has life and death consequences to it. It either brings us down or takes us over. It either fuels our quit or enables our conquer. There's power in what we say. 
And the scripture tells us this over and over again. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I wish our politicians knew this. Don't get me on that now. We have to realize the way in which we discuss, the matter in which we interact and talk. Everybody is so quick to attack one another today. Somebody was just telling me before the service about a situation where they walked into a store, they forgot their mask, and be like, "Ah, oh, yo, relax. What happened to sir? I'm sorry, but would you mind putting on a mask? What happened? A kind word. There's power to turn the tide of a situation. Jesus, Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done and will have whatever he says. Power in our words. Joel chapter 3, verse number 10, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the sick say, I am healed. Let the poor say, this is no longer the scripture, this is me just interjecting for weak and strong. So instead of weak, I say sick. Instead of strong, I say healed. Instead of weak, I say poor. Instead of strong, I say rich. Instead of, instead of weak, I say broken. Instead of, instead of uh, strong, I say whole. Let the broken say I'm whole. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the sick say I'm healed. Let the poor say that I'm rich. Let the confused say that I'm full of wisdom. Let the depressed say that I'm full of joy. Let the weak say I am strong. You can even do it like this. Let the ugly say that I'm handsome. It doesn't work like that. I'm just playing with y'all. Although maybe it could. Maybe it, try it out one day. I mean, what do you got to lose, right? <laughs> Look at in the mirror and say, I am handsome in Jesus' name. Psalm 107, verse number 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I love this one. It could take this so many different ways. One of the ways I take it is so. You want to bug the devil out? You go, So. You know, it's like, remember when you were a kid and somebody come back to you like that? Like, so? Remember Rocky in the movie, Mr. T was hitting me, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. So? Devil throws something, so? This comes out to you, so? And it's not like a, like a so of like ignorance that you're immune to what is happening, but, but it's a so of like, you know what? I, I got you. You're doing this, but, but I also saying so because I know who's in my corner and I, I know how God works and what God is about to do. So let the redeemed of the, of the Lord say so. In the original language, this woman, the Bible said, for she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made well. In the original language, it doesn't say she said it once. It says literally, for she said and kept on saying. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made well. In order to fuel your endurance, you must say it and keep on saying what God says. Psalm 34, verse number 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, here's the operative word, shall continually be in my mouth. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that you can't just say it here and there. When you are in a battle, you've got to condition yourself. And I know it's difficult. I've been in long battles. You've got to say it and say it and say it and say it and say it. And here's a little trick for you. If you can't say it. Now, you, some of you who've never been in a long battle have no idea what that even means. 
of course you can say it. Can I just take a break and tell you that sometimes situations are so severe, you, you can't even say. So what do you do? You know what I do? I sing. Let his praise be continually in my mouth. And so my default when I can't say because my mind's not working enough to say, I need somebody to do a little helping in the saying. So I put on some songs that help me to say and I sing the songs. And so in the middle of your situation when you can't say, how about singing, I'm going to see a victory. How about singing, our God is greater. How about singing, mighty to save. How about singing, he'll do it again. How about sing, let, singing, let his blessing go before me and behind me and beside me, all around me, on your children and their children to a thousand generation. Sing the safest place for you to be is in God's hands. Sing the name of Jesus. Sing a hallelujah in the presence of your enemy because when you sing, it's you saying what God needs you to say. It's one of the greatest ways to say it and say it and say it and say it and keep on saying it in the middle of your situation. If saying it is hard, sing it and keep on singing it. I can't tell you how many times I've done this. And this is not just a one-time scriptural principle for she said. Or his praise continually be in my mouth. This is, if you study enough scriptures, you'll know this. This is a regular teaching of scripture. Joshua chapter 1 verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Do you know what the word depart means? It means depart. It says, it shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Do not let it depart out of your mouth. Here's the message. There is a miracle in your mouth. There is power in what you pronounce. There is prosperity in speaking God's promises. Listen to me. Here's the way to think of it. Out talk your problem with God's promises. Anybody good at being an out talker? You know, you, you gotta always have the last word. Got any last word people? Anybody sitting next to a last word person? Look at that. I knew that. Get a few hands right there. It's amazing to me how we like to always have the last word. We live in a society of last word people. Just look at the discourse in our nation. Nobody can let anybody win. Everybody's always gotta have the last word. Right? And I'm just wondering when Christians are going to get as vehement about having the last word said about their situation by whenever the enemy keeps bringing up problem, 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 saying promise, 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 promise. Out talk your problems with God's promises. There is power to push through your problems and your pain in speaking God's promises. She said and kept on saying. Picture her crawling through the crowd. If only I can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Picture her getting kicked while she was crawling. If only I can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Picture her losing sight of where Jesus was. If only I can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Picture her feeling another gush of blood. If only I can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. There is power to push in the promises of God. Every time the devil hits you, let him know what's in you by what comes out of your mouth. Anybody remember them dolls used to pull the string and it used to say something? Anybody remember them dolls when you were a kid? Kind of crazy dolls. They're kind of like scary. You put them in kids' hands. Scare the bejesus out of kids. You'd be like, eh, look at the doll. Oh, and the kids would be like, ah! When the devil hits you, let, let, let what he forces out of you 
be a word of God that's in you. Respond with the word of God. I've told this story so many times, but it's such a good story. I'm going to tell it forever because how God taught me this. God taught me that my course is determined by what comes out of my mouth. And he taught me this on my honeymoon 26 years ago. I had this big grand plan. We went to Bermuda. We were going to go riding horses on the beach. Romantic, isn't it? Have you ever seen it in the movies? Muscular guy with shirt off. That was back then. This is now. I mean, just, you know, gets on the horse and woman in a beautiful body in a bikini, long hair, and they're both riding these horses on the, the beach and the water is splashing up right where the water hits the sand and the horses are going about and the slow motion cameras kick on. Have you seen it? And it just begins to... It's like, it's wonderful. I thought, that's what we're going to do. That's going to be our first excursion. And so I set it all up. We're going to go and rent the horses and we go there to rent the horses. And I found out it's like a group tour. Nobody wants to be in a group on your honeymoon. Listen, if, if your spouse wants to be in a group on your honeymoon, there, there's something wrong. You might want to just walk away right then before it gets too late. Group tour on the honeymoon. I'm like, this really rots. And it's funny because they, they, you, you go on an hour trip to the beach from where the horses are. One hour. Have you been, ever been on a horse? Anybody ever been on a horse? Ever been on a horse for an hour? Ouch. It's not comfortable. I mean, especially if you're like a novice at this thing, you know? And so we, we get on the horses and they, they, they line them up and they got the lead horse and you got my horse and then you got this British lady's horse. You're going to like this story. This British lady's horse and then, and then my wife and her horse and then a couple of other people and every this big long line and um, my horse was second and it, it was, a, they just, just track, you know, so nothing, weeds on this side, weeds on this side, brush or weeds, whatever you call it and then just horse after horse after going down this long trail and the reason why I know the lady was British is in this British accent the whole entire drive or ride, she's going, please don't sniff his bung. Did you hear what I said? Can you tell them what a bung is? Um, that's British for saying their rear end. And I guess her horse kept sniffing my horse's rear end, and she found it necessary to repeat this countless times during the thing. And all I remember is, please don't sniff his bung. And I'm like, why do you need to keep saying that, lady? And I wanted to just turn around and say, shut up! But I didn't know how to say it in British, so I didn't. I didn't, just didn't know what to do. And so we're going along. And this is the part that I've told before. And we finally get to the beach. And when we get to the beach, my horse sees open space. And his name was Dino. Fred Flintstone. Dino, you know Dino? And, and I promise you, as soon as this open, whew, this horse takes off like a bat out of hell at the speed of light, right? Now, they had given us this brief little introduction on how to control a horse, you know, in anticipation that this will never happen. It's kind of like when they tell you on the plane, you know, if the camera happens to lose pressure, like, like, like everybody is just going to remain calm in the crisis. That's usually not what happens, right? And so they give us this brief little, little thing in the way you move the horse to the left as you yank on the reins to the left and to the right, you yank on it to the right. And when you want the horse to stop, you pull back on the reins, you know, and so this horse takes off. 
And so for the moment, I'm like, I remember what I should do. Pull back on the reins. And so I pull back on the reins. And I even say, whoa, Dino! Dino doesn't respond. So I think, okay, harder. So I lean back into it. Whoa, Dino! And after about five minutes of trying to slow Dino down, he ain't slowing down, I just threw the reins down, I wrapped my arms around Dino's neck, and I held on for dear life, screaming, help! You can see it, right? You can see my legs going up like this in the back. I mean, I'm, help! Finally, they came. They rescued me. The other horse galloped alongside. It was like a western, you know, going like this, trying to get Dino. It's just the craziest thing in the world. I'll never forget it. And, and so I said, what happened? I said, why didn't Dino slow down when I pulled it? And immediately I thought of James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says, a bit in a horse's mouth controls the whole horse. I'm like, no, it don't. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. And God taught me, he said, if you can't control the horse's mouth, you can't control the course of the horse. If you cannot control what comes out of your mouth, you cannot control the course of the crisis. What happened? Dino bit down on the part of the whatever they call it, the bridle, that pulls back on the gums. He, there's a part in it, it's called the bit, and he put it between his teeth so that when I pulled back, it didn't hit his gums. Some people are pulling back on the power of God because they are not controlling what comes out of their mouth. She said... She said, she said, what else did she do? I'm preaching too long tonight. I'm sorry. Number two, second thing she did to gas up. She stood. Notice again what it said in the text. For she said, if I can only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now, this is very important because she didn't just say anything. She said, if only I can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Why did she say that? Because one of the promises of the old covenant to the people of that time that was a prophesied promise to identify who the Messiah was, was Malachi chapter 4, verse number 2. But for those of you who fear his name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now let me show you what this is all about. Somebody got me this the other day because they saw I was preaching on this. And so this is a talit. And, and rabbis would wear this thing. It was a little bit longer on them, or maybe it was a shorter rabbi. I'm a fairly tall guy. And, and, and the talith has these things on the end of it. We would call them tassels, but these are called wings. And, and they would be on the ground. And the promise, the prophesied promise that identified who the Messiah would be is that these things, these wings, these portions of his clothes, if he truly was the Messiah, would have healing power. 
power in them. And so here's what happened is somewhere along the line, this woman was taught this promise. Somewhere along the line, the word of God got planted on the inside of her and it would seemingly be a useless piece of information. Well, here's how you know. He's the true rabbi by healing in the wings. And so could you imagine people when these things first came out? Can I touch that please? Can I touch that please? Oh, he's not it. Oh, he's not it. And then after you touched enough of them and no power came out, you thought, I'm not going to. It probably became indiscriminate and something that they stopped doing is touching these things because they knew that that couldn't really be the Messiah, even though a lot of people claim to be the Messiah. But something got in her. The word of God got put in her heart. Can I just share with somebody? Keep putting the word of God in your heart because when it is needed, the Holy Spirit will have it to pull out from what is in you. Keep putting the word of God inside of your kid's heart because there will come a time when even when they're walking away from God, God through the Holy Spirit will bring something up that was put on the inside and pull it out for just the time of this. So she remembered. And so she began to speak this promise over and over and over and over again. Get the word of God in you for two reasons. I said one, but I'll tell you another. First, just because you love Jesus. And when you get the word of God in you, it'll tell you, remember what this prophecy was designed to do, to point them to the true Messiah. So what the word of God unveils for us is who Jesus really is. And when you get into the word of God, it tells you that he really is good and he really is merciful and kind and gracious and a provider and a protector and a sustainer and a helper and a healer and he is righteousness and justice and all of those things wrapped up into one. It'll help you to know who God is. And listen to me, in these last days... You're going to need to know who God is. Because the Bible says if the last days weren't cut short, even the elect would be deceived. And the reason for that is because the pressure of conformity to culture and conformity of new rights and wrongs. Remember this. In the last days, they will call right wrong and wrong right. You need to get the word of God in you over and over and over again. But also because when you get the word in you, God can use it when he needs to, to work in you. When you get the word of God in you, it works. The Bible says God watches over his word waiting to perform it. It says it's able to save our souls and give us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It says it prospers where God sends it. Get it in you. And when the enemy comes against you, take your stand on the word of God. One of the other trips that I've told you about is I was on a book tour years ago. And the spirit led us to San Diego on the book tour. We were suffering for Jesus in San Diego. That's a joke. San Diego is beautiful. One of the most beautiful places on the planet. The weather is absolutely insane. And it's almost like God knew we were going to be there. We went for barbecue one night, and half of the Dallas Cowboy teams were in the barbecue restaurant. I was like, I was like, I'm with you, my son. Look, I'm going to make you meet all these guys. It was wonderful. My son was there. It was great. Anyway, while I was there, we decided to take a private backstage tour of the, the San Diego Zoo. So we had our own tour guide, and we got to go behind the cages, and we got to see the animals up close, and we got to pet them and feed them and all these kind of things, and it was, it was wonderful. And the, the animal that fascinated me the most was the giraffe. And, and, you know, giraffes, they're huge. 
And what fascinated me about the giraffe was the way the giraffe gives birth. Gives birth standing up. And I guess that's not so strange because I guess in the olden days, didn't ladies do that too? You just squatted, right? It's kind of like standing up. And so the giraffe would, would give birth standing up. And, and a giraffe's uterus is like up here. And you think about that. That's quite a shock for the baby giraffe. <laughs> and this fascinated me. And, and I learned that what would happen is the baby giraffe would be born and the mama would turn around and lick the baby giraffe clean. Aren't you glad you're not an animal? Aren't you glad they have towels for that? And I'm just like... Then when they try to hand me my kids for the first time, I'm like, can you clean them up first? That's funny. I don't care what you all say. Anyway, baby giraffe would, would lick, the mama giraffe would lick the baby giraffe clean and then turn its back on the baby giraffe. And you've heard me teach this before. And as it was walking away, all of a sudden it would reach back with its hind legs. And I'm not going to do this real hard because I'm not stupid. My back is not going to go out again. And wham, a lot harder than that kick the baby giraffe and the baby giraffe would go flying and fall to the ground. And then the mama giraffe would come over and nudge it back up to its feet, turn around, walk away and wham! The baby giraffe would go flying again. And we'd repeat this process until the baby giraffe got up and took a stand on its own feet without being nudged by the mama. What is the message? That in the jungle... Where the lion sleeps tonight. In the jungle, the mighty jungle. The mama knew the lion was in the jungle. And the mama knew that the only chance that the baby giraffe had was to stand up on its own two feet because the advantage of the giraffe in the jungle is that it is Kareem Abdul Giraffe. It is the tallest animal in the jungle. And so for it to not stand, it was losing its advantage. Listen to me, children of God. Your advantage as a believer is to take your stand on the word of Almighty God in the middle of your battle. It's your advantage. We used to sing this song. Listen to the words. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to him eternally by love's strong cord. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fail. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. This is what Paul tells us to do in the epistles. In Ephesians 6, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. This does not mean you can automatically stand. It means standing is difficult, and it means you must put on the whole armor of God. I was going to preach a message, but I may not get to it. Are you protected or infected? Which one are you 
as we go through, protected or infected. If you're wearing the armor of God, you're protected. Doesn't mean a weapon's not going to be formed, but you can get victory over it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day. Having done all the stand, stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth. This is the first piece of the armor, the belt of truth. What is that? It is the word of God. Why is it the belt? Because it's your center. Anybody work out? What do you have to strengthen? First and foremost, your core. Nowadays, they know your whole health system comes from your gut. Your gut is where all your disease comes from. You got to have a healthy core. God knew that long ago. And so he said, when you go into battle, the thing that you got to have is you got to have truth at your center. You got to stake your claim and put your stand in on the truth of God's word. Take your stand. That's what she did. She said, she stood. Last thing and then I'll be done and I'm getting hot. She said, she stood. Number three, he saw. She said, she stood, but he saw. Remember what happened in the text. She reached out, she touched his wing. God reached back, touched her with his power. She immediately felt that she was healed of her disease, and she was ready to walk away. She didn't want to be noticed because if she was caught out in public with the kind of disease that she had, she was infectious and contagious, and if she wasn't in quarantine, she would be put to death. She is content with going in, getting her healing, and going out unnoticed. She's been unnoticed for the last 12 years. She's had people go on with their lives, friends that used to stop by and check on her. They don't check on her as much because it's 12 years. People just walk on by. She's in the crowd. Nobody knows she's there. She's part of the crowd and nobody cares. Her problem is her problem. She's like the beggar on the side of the street who everybody treats like isn't even a human being. Just come and you just walk by. She's learned to be unnoticed. But Jesus feels power in himself. And the Bible says he asked the question, who touched me? And he asked this question and turned around. The Bible says to see her who had done this thing. In other words, he called her back. In other words, he pointed her out in the middle of a crowd. In other words, in a big crowd where it could be easy to go unnoticed, God notices her. In a crowd where it could be easy for no one to see her, God sees her. In a story where it's easy to notice and see Jairus, the man with power, the man with servants, the man with wealth, the man with circumstances, the man with authority, the man who who's got the daughter, who's dying. It would be easy to make the story about Jairus, but Jesus flips the story and makes the story about the woman who's got what Jairus is need. God sees her in the middle of the crowd, in the sea of people, in the presence of a man of significance. Jesus remakes the story. It's not the story of Jairus. 
It's the story of how the unseen woman becomes the center point and the catalyst for the powerful man's miracle. It's the story about how God sees the unseen. It's about how God's, it's a story about how God notices the overlooked, how God reaches out to the marginalized. I came here today to remind somebody who maybe feels like God doesn't see you that God sees you. God sees everything that you're going through. You haven't fallen off God's radar. I came here to remind somebody on who he really is. He's El-Rohi, the God that sees you. I came here to remind somebody that God knows your name and feels your pain, that God is not like us. God doesn't just walk on by. God stops and God calls. And when God stops, he summons. And when God summons, he does the supernatural. God sees you in the middle of whatever your circumstance is that you're going through right now. He sees. He sees. He sees your marriage. He sees you and what your children are going through. He sees your heartache. He sees your abuse. He sees your addiction. He sees your pain. He sees your cries for justice. He sees your disease. He sees your sleeplessness. He sees your weaknesses. He sees you. Don't give up. Don't give up. He sees you. I wish, I wish we knew some old songs. Because if his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's looking after me. Think about it, if he cares about the lilies of the field. How much more? Does he care about us? He sees you. Stand to your feet.